A lot going on in the world, as Matt said well ago. A lot of questions. A couple of questions I received this week thought would be a good idea to talk about some of the questions that people are having. One question is, is the United States in end times prophecy? You hear that from time to time with the wonder of it. I think the direct answer is no. I don't believe there's any place where directly the United States of America is mentioned. Some of the reasons for that perhaps is we're no longer a power or we're no longer a nation of influence when those birth pains are taking place. That may be a possibility. It may be because of the leadership that we have at the time that these things take place is not wanting to get involved may be the case. And so we're isolated and we're not part of any kind of drawing of the nations together against Israel, which the scripture clearly reveals to us. Maybe we're no longer a superpower. Maybe we're no longer a United States. Maybe we're splintered. And that's not far-fetched. There's already rumblings in our country. There's been rumblings for a long time here in Texas. There's been rumblings about it in Texas since 1836 that we should do our own thing. And it's still going on today. Uh, People argue that we can break away and be our own nation. And others say we can't break away and be our own nation because of what's in our constitution. But I think that if if the climate is right... I believe from that there would be a yes vote probably to not be part of the United States now. Wouldn't that be interesting that when you come down for the OU uh, Texas game, you got to show a passport? Be interesting, wouldn't it? Be interesting, and it, it, that could be a reason that we're we're splintered for whatever reason. And I'm I can certainly see that. At the time that those nations would be listed as coming against Israel or involved in all that, I can see our country not having the will to support Israel. And from what the scriptures have to say, I believe that to be a grave error, but there's really a possibility. So, no, perhaps the only place we're really mentioned in end-time prophecy is in the book of Revelation when it talks about all the nations and the warning to the nations, and the calling of the nations, perhaps that's where we are. So that's what I personally believe about it. Another question is, what's going on in Israel today with the attack of Hamas uh, Hamas on Israel, and, and what took place there, and is taking place today, is what is going on in Israel now a sign of the return of Jesus? And I believe the direct answer for that is yes. I believe that it is clear. It meets some of the signs that Jesus mentions in Matthew 24. It is a war and a rumor of war. There is increased hate in Israel. There is increased hate in the world today. It is amazing to me the depth of hate there is. You know, people hate people of different colors of skin. It's it's. It's intensified, and so the, the level of hate, I think, warrants 
that it is one of the signs. The fact that Israel exists. Now, that has been a sign and wonder since 1948. The fact that there is a Jewish nation. I mean, when you consider that for 1878 years, Israel did not exist. That's, that's crazy. From 70 AD until 18, uh, 1948, Israel was not a country. And the fact that Israel exists today and they, they would be the target and all the enemies would be, they would be surrounded by their enemies, to me is an amazing sign and wonder. It's an amazing sign and wonder. And, but honestly, the greatest sign of wonder is not a new sign and wonder. It's an old sign and wonder. And for the last 2,000 some odd years, the temple has not existed. So for me, that's the greatest sign and wonder there is. And it has been around a long, long time. When you consider that the temple does not exist, to me, it is absolutely enough information that anyone needs to confess their sins, to repent of their ways, to turn to God and live obediently to Him when you just understand that there's no more temple. We begin in Matthew 24 with verses 1 and 2. And it says in verse 1, Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. And so it was quite magnificent. Now, we only have drawings of the temple. We only have pictures of it. But this is a model of the temple. Okay? This is what the disciples were looking down on. They were looking at all the fortresses. You see over there on the right-hand side, you got those four buildings coming up. That's the Antonio Fortress right there. And, and you've got the, the Hall of Gentiles over here on the left. And surrounding the wall is all diff the courts. It's the different places. And, and, and some of those places only Jews could go to. But you see the tallest building there from, from this ground floor, and you can see the wall there. On this end of the wall, that's some 100 foot. That's an amazing, it's a tall wall. It slopes down this way from picture right to the left, and the big right there in the middle. You got the outer court, you can see that clearly, and then the raised building inside that is the Holy of Holies. Now, the first time I saw United States Capitol. I was blown away. We were at a hotel about three blocks off of it, and I got up earlier, and I went outside. And lo and behold, we could just see down the way the Capitol. And when I first saw the Capitol with my own eyes, I was blown away with how big that cotton-picking thing is. And, and one of the first questions I had about it is, surely we can sell that and save some taxes. It's big. It's huge. It's now if if someone today were to say to me, Lee, 
in 50 years, there's coming a day where that, that capital of the United States will no longer be. I would say, you're crazy. That can't be. There is no way in the world that that United States Capitol building can be torn down. It would take wrecking balls. It would take, I mean, people would stop it. If nothing else, stop it for a museum or something. I mean, it's huge, and just no way that, that things will get that bad in our country that someone else would be able to tear down our capital. Now, I think that magnifies when you think about the Jewish temple. Surely, there is no way anyone will do that. They, they'll completely lose control of the Jewish people. There's no way. Not only is there, there, can't, there can never be a political will for that temple to be knocked down because the political will of whoever, let's go back to the, please. If, if there's no way that they have political will knock that down. Another thing, how in the world are you going to knock it down? It took 46 years to build it. How are you going to be able to knock that down? You don't have bulldozers. You don't have cranes. You don't have the wrecking balls that we have. And so from our perspective, we have a different mindset about those kind of things. For, the, for these disciples, hearing Jesus say this, it had to be mind-blowing because of what they see. So from the top of that temple to the bottom, 120 foot. It's huge. It's big. It's, it's beyond. It was their pride. It was just humongous. And, and when you would come over the Mount of Olives or Mount Zion, or you would come off out of the valley, I mean, it, it was just, as soon as you could get over a hill and get the eyesight, it would just be beyond belief out there. Huge, spectacular. There is no way in the world that temple could be knocked down. But Jesus said to them in verse 2, You see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And so the question is, you know, what's the sign going to be? Look in verse 3. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, which would be this direction looking down, the disciples came to him probably saying, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And so the first sign we see there in verses 1 and 2 is the tearing down of the temple. Now let's go to the Dome of the Rock picture. That's what's been there for a long time. That's been there for nearly... 1,300 years, 1,200 years that's been there. Now, all that white that surrounds the Dome of the Rock, that's the Temple Mount. That is four and a half acres of land. Imagine this. Jesus said in Luke chapter 19, when he was on the Mount of Olives, he looks down at the temple, which was still there, of course, when he was there, and he wept for Jerusalem. And he wept because you don't understand. You have missed the day of your visitation, which was the coming of Christ. 
and he wept for them because he knew this was coming. Now, that is four and a half acres that the Jews can't go. The guides that take you on a tour there, they get special permission for them to go. But a, a Jew just cannot go up there and walk around that. That's where the Holy of Holies is. And that's why the Western Wall is, is so famous because that's as close as the Jews can go to the temple where it was, not where it is, but where it was, that they can go to the, to the close they go to the Holy of Holies where their sins could be taken, where the sacrifices could be made, and, and forgiveness can be given, can be absolved. And so they wail. When it says the wailing wall, that's what that's about. They wail there. Jesus saw that. Number one, sign and wonder for me. There's no temple. And to make matters worse, there's the third holiest shrine for the Islam people. And it stands there. The Al-As Mosque is there. And you have this Dome of the Rock. Supposedly, it is the place where Muhammad rode a white horse into heaven and received a message. And it happens to be Mount Moriah. And on that rock is where Abraham took his son Isaac to be sacrificed. It's not there. Imagine that. That a prophecy about that, about that one place, a four and a half acre plot of land would be the most contested piece of land there is in all the world. This is World War III. This is World War IV. If the Jews take that mount today, man, it is on. It is something that we need to be concerned about, not overwhelmed by, as we'll see in the Scriptures, but definitely it is a motivator. And so if Matthew chapter 24, important and true, let's look through this and see what some of those other signs are that point to the end of the age. Because you see, for the last 1,800 and some odd years, the temple not being there is sign of Jesus' return. And these other signs, I think, just supplement that the wall, that the temple is not there. And so in verse 4, he begins teaching what things are going to be like. Now, verses 4 through verse 8, jump down and look at verse, verse 8 there. It says, all these are but the beginning of birth pains. Okay? Now, it's obvious to me that the measurement that Jesus used here in birth pains is used over and over to describe how things will be before Jesus returns in birth pains because everybody understands birth pains for them. Today, if you have a baby, you go in a hospital, 
and people sit out in the waiting room. And, and just recently, we allow the dad in and, and understand there's places now where the whole family can come in. But, but most people go through their life and they only have one or two experiences with childbirth, right? That's the way it is. Now, in first century Israel, if you had a baby, everybody heard. Not, they didn't hear you had a baby. They heard you having birth, giving birth to this baby. You know what they heard? They heard screams. They heard moans. There is, they, they heard how far apart the contractions are, you know, because you could hear it. Everybody lived together in a village behind a wall, behind protection, and, and they all understood birth pains, and this is what they understood. Beginning birth pains, further apart and not as intense. As the birth pro progresses and it gets towards the time of giving the birth, the, the, the pains are closer together, more frequent, and far more intense, right? That's, the, that's what happens with birth, and that's what Jesus is saying here. So verses 4 through 8 are those initial birth pains, and then in verses 9 through 14 are those secondary part of the birth pains, more frequently, more intense. So here are the first birth pains that need to be understood. First one is deception. Jesus answered them and said, see that no one leads you astray. What's it going to be like before Jesus returns? See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. So get ready for people falling away. Get ready for people being deceived. That's what's going to be taking place before Jesus returns. This is initially in that first set of birth pains. And so deception is going to take place. And then he says there in verse 6, and you will hear wars and rumors of wars. And so in that initial set of birth pains, there is going to be wars and rumors of wars. And then in the second part of verse 7, it, is, it talks about the first part there about the wars or rumors of wars. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And then there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. So you sit down and you look at this information, important and true. Is this the word of God? Is Jesus who the scripture says he is? And you go through this and say, before Jesus returns, these signs are going to be there. There's going to be deception taking place. Lots of deception. Not as, not as much and as frequent as there will be in that second part of birth pains, but there's going to be deception, wars and rumors of wars, and there's going to be famines and earthquakes. Now, the hard part of this is this. We don't know how intense it is yet. We won't know that this is the second part of birth pains until we're there and then we're going to wonder, can it get worse? Can it get more frequent? Today, there was an earthquake in Afghanistan, 6.2 on the scale. Today, that's a big earthquake. There's earthquakes all the time. 
We have famines. We've had famines a lot through the last several years, haven't we? There's been a bunch of them. There's, there's wars and rumors of wars. In my lifetime, I don't remember a time there wasn't a war or a rumor of a war. It's been going on. And, and so I don't know how intense it is. I don't know what part of the birth pains that is. And, and as far as I understand, there's been a whole lot of deception going on for a long time. We, we talk about Jim Jones leading all those people to Africa and drinking the Kool-Aid. You know, that's deception. We, we, the guy down in Waco, Koresh, deception. You know, Bill, that Tilton guy on TV, man, you know, there's no question about he was a charlatan or is a charlatan. No question about that. And deception takes place. Now, verse 9 through 14, we understand this to be the second group of pains in, in the birth, birthing process. So in verse 9 through 14, these signs that are mentioned here, they're going to happen more frequently, and they're going to be more intense. There's going to be more of it. And so you look in verse 9, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my namesake. There is going to be a war against Christians. There is going to be Christians being persecuted. There is going to be Christians being martyred. And there is Christians that are going to be hated like never before. Now, put that in the context of what the Romans did with Christians in the Colosseum. Ooh. And then Constantine becomes a believer, and that stops. And then you've got a gap of time in there where there wasn't as much persecution. And then you go to the Middle Ages, and there was more persecution, and, and, and you begin to look at that. But here's one thing that, now, knowing how much persecution there is and how many Christians are dying because they believe in Jesus and, and, and how much they're hated is very difficult to measure. But... The people that probably are the best at, at keeping up with the amount of persecution and martyrdom that's happening in our world believe this, that if you took all the martyrs between 1900 and 1975, and then you added to that all the martyrs between 1975 and now, there's been more. There's been more since 1975 than there were in that previous 1975 years. Now, there is some struggle with that. Struggle with those numbers. You know, how do they know for sure how many? It, it, there's some calculations going on. There's some estimations going. But, but what it is saying is that the amount of persecution and the amount of Christian martyrs that there is in the world today is definitely going up. Now, here we are in North Texas, and it blows us away. I mean, you, none of us have been beaten with a baseball bat because we've come to church. To my knowledge, no one has tried to beat us because you wanted to go to church here, right? I, we, we, there's been elements of persecution. There's, there's social persecution, I suppose, that happens. But obviously, we look at this, 
And, and we go, well, we must not be in the end times because we're not experiencing that. Well, this wasn't written perhaps for us today, but if you look at that for all the world, they're not saying that. If you're in Cambodia today, they're going, yeah, lots of persecution. Yep. There's murders. We had one of our pastors killed because he shared the gospel. I mean, that's as close tie as we've been to it. But if you, if you think about Sudan, if you think about the Congo today, if you think about Indonesia, if you think about what it's like to be a believer in Saudi Arabia, in Iran today, by the way, there's a revival going on in Iran today of people coming to Christ, but they're, they're hidden for the most part. If you think about all the killings that happened in Russia, all the Christians that lost their life because they believed in Christ in the last 50 years or so, if you think about all the Chinese people that died because of faith in Christ, when, when they read verse 9, they don't have the same perception of verse 9 that we have. And so we've got to understand this from perhaps another point of view. And that's hard for Americans because aren't we the center of God's point of view? <laughs> Need to think about that, don't we? So if from their point of view, I, I see how they're going. There is persecution. There are martyrs. We all know one. We all know some. We all know 50. We all know 100. And boy, is there a lot of hate for us. And so persecution is going to increase. Martyrdom is going to increase. And being hated is going to increase. That's before Jesus returns. Now, look in verse 10. This is, this is pretty interesting, I think. Jesus said, the one that called people to follow him, the one that's given us all this information of what it means to be a believer, he's taught on persevering, he's taught on what it means to be a disciple, and obviously he's the one we follow. He says in verse 10, and then many will fall away. Many will fall away. He might could have said it this way, you'll go to London, England, and you'll go to beautiful cathedrals and their museums, not houses of worship. You will stand there and see buildings that would have a, enough pew space or seat space for four or 5,000 people. And only a trickle might come if they had a service on Sunday. So from that point of view, if you look at that and go, many, many have fallen away, have you? We've lost a whole generation. A hundred years ago, our churches were full, and today they're empty. And so it's a, it depends on your perspective with these things. But Jesus says before he returns, many are going to fall away. They're going to just absolutely turn their back on Jesus. That's what's going to take place. And they're going to betray one another, and they're going to hate one another. So not only are the Christian people going to be hated by the world, but the Christian people are going to hate other Christian people. They're going to walk away from it, and they're going to betray them, and they're going to be so disgusted with the Christian way of life that they're going to hate that way of life. Do we see that happening in our country today? I think the answer is yes. 
I, I think we see elements of falling away. I think we see elements of betrayal, Christians betraying other Christians. And, and I definitely think you see a, a, a spark that the hatred is growing. It's growing a little bit. Hard to measure. I agree with you. Hard to put it on a piece of paper and say, I mean, how do you measure hatred? It's very difficult to measure. And then look at verse 12. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Sin is going to be out in the open. Sin is going to, it's going to be bold. It's going to be out there. It's going to be in a situation that everyone sees it. It will appear there's more sin going on. There's going to be no longer in the closet sin. It'll be, ah, everybody's okay with it. Even everybody's okay with it at the church. And love is going to grow cold. Where's the love going to go? Don't you ever sometimes think about that? Where's the love gone? You know, where, where you know, we've got to be reminded as believers all the time that we're called to love one another. That, you know, we're thinking about how can we increase the dosage of love? And, and there's a concern with that. Sin is open and people are unashamed. I mean, we live in a day and time that one of the programs that churches have is drag queens come and teach children at church. For the life of me, never once did I thought that would be a thing. I mean, I, I didn't know what drag queens were until not too long ago. People dress up and do what? Act like what? And, it's a, and, and why would you have men dress like women come and teach children at church? To teach them that this lifestyle is okay? You've got to be kidding me. There's no way in the world I would subject our children to that. But it's going on. The Sparkle Creed, have you heard of the Sparkle Creed? Look online and, and listen to the Sparkle Creed in churches. They're, like you used to say, the Apostles' Creed in some of the more liturgical churches, they're now, some are now saying what they call the Sparkle Creed. And God is non-binary. For the life of me, I don't get that. Sexual sins are being tolerated. Now, should they have been tolerated all along? Tolerated is different between you love people, but, but you don't say that the sin is, is okay. And, and there's no question that on this movement of acceptance that's happening today, that people are getting low-key about sin. And that, that ought not to be. Sin is increasing. And love is growing cold. We're not telling people the truth. That's love growing cold. We're not speaking up about unpopular subjects. That's love growing cold. That's definitely... when. When the preacher is out to tickle people's ears, that the Scripture talks about, beware of people that tickle other people's ears. That idea is that you just tell people what they want to hear to draw a crowd, to be popular, to increase the budget, to make money. 
man, that's not love to me. You mean to tell me that you will avoid hell, you will avoid subjects of sin, you will avoid church discipline and discipline that comes from the Lord, you will avoid all these topics and all these issues just so you'll be loved, just so you'll be loved and liked and appreciated and respected. And, and if you put something on Facebook, you'll get 100 likes before noon. Is that what you're doing? That's not love. Love has grown cold in that situation. And then second to the temple being gone, the most fascinating thing to me is found in verse 14. And it says, and the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. That's an amazing thing. Now, previously, the church is going to fall away. There's going to be heretics, charlatans, and ticklers. They're going to deceive many, and there's going to be this great falling away. So, so as I try to wrap my brain around this, so right before the end comes, right before Jesus comes and, and takes care of business, the church is going to be taking the gospel to the whole world, and it will be obvious, but simultaneously, simultaneously there will be a great falling away. Now, the only way that can happen is you're going to have part of the church doing this and part of the church doing that. You're talking about a mess. Can you imagine what that's going to be like in local churches where there's a great movement to take the gospel to the whole world and there's a falling away at the same time? There is a, a, a movement towards wanting everyone to be welcomed and everyone to be accepted and no one to feel shame for their sin and no one to be under conviction. And, and just go along and get along. Can't we all just, just welcome everyone? And let's just put the rainbow up and just say, everyone is right with God regardless. God loves everyone. There, there's, there's no need for conviction of sin and nothing like that. And at the same time, people are wanting to take the gospel to the whole world. And then you're going to have this opposite view taking place at the same time. That's an amazing thing. Not quite sure I've seen that yet. But it says before Jesus returns, that's exactly what's going to happen. Now, a word for us today. What did Jesus have to say about these things? Well, in the list of the first pains, we find there in verse 6, it says, see that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. See that you are not alarmed. We are not to be afraid. We are not to lose our mind about it. We are not to, be, be, to become so fearful that we don't do anything. We are not to become just bothered with anxiety and all these things, and that's, that's going to take place. Jesus said, don't be alarmed by it. And he says, don't be alarmed about it because it must take place. And so we've got to have that mindset that these first birth pain signs must take place. It's the plan of the Lord. And we need to, as Christian people, we need to have that mindset about these end-time things that are going to take place. And then in verse 13, in the middle of the second birth pains, 
Jesus said, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. He says that when all this craziness is going on, when all this hate, when all this murder, when all this persecution is taking place, when you can't find love and sin is rampant and lawlessness increases and all this nut, nut stuff's going on in the world and, and you don't want to watch the news and you don't want to hear about what's taking place in the world. You want to isolate yourself. You, you, you want to just protect your own and, and you want to just, just say, I'm just going to take care of me and mine and, and the world can just, you know, do its thing. But Jesus said, we are to endure until the end. Now, the idea of enduring to the end is this. We keep on praying. We keep on loving. We keep on sharing the gospel. We keep on discipling. We keep on believing. We keep on worshiping. We keep on being who we are to be in the, in the church, in the kingdom of God. We don't allow this crazy stuff to get in the way of what God might want to do in us in the end times. That's what Jesus said for us to do. So understand, there are some keys that the first pains and the second pains are very different. And when you begin to think about which group are we at today, I think we have been in the end times since in 70 AD when the temple fell. And is it increasing? Measure that. Look at that. And it would point us to enduring in the, in the kingdom. It will, it will point us to the same thing, not being alarmed and enduring to the end. And, and understand that what you do see or you don't see here where we live, it's not the indicator. We've got to think about what we understand about what's taking place in the whole entire world for us to be understand which day and time are we in. And what we are willing to do now where we are, it reveals what we believe. It reveals what we believe. I mean, obviously, if that many people can fall away and impact things, there was a problem of belief because what we do demonstrates what we believe. And so do the right things. Believe and do the right things, I think, is the word that Jesus has for us. And the final word that I think Jesus has for us today, obviously, when you hear about these tragedies, you know, I, I heard one dad who um, had an eight-year-old girl that was kidnapped and taken into Gaza, and then later they found her body, and the news person asked a real stupid question, but they always do, about how do you feel about this? Well, you know, how do I feel about this? They took my eight-year-old daughter, and then she's found later dead. And, and, and he was happy that she was dead. You know why? Because he could not bring himself to think what would be going on with her alive with these people. Wow. Just keep your focus. Don't let fear take over. Warn everyone that'll listen to you that the temple's not there. We'll begin there. 
The temple's not there. It's a sign. It's a sign and wonder of Jesus' return. Warn everyone you know that we all need to be ready and faithful for the return of Jesus. So when I see the news and I see what's taking place in Israel, it's a reminder to me to be faithful, to endure, to not be alarmed, to be on guard, to be aware, but to be actively doing what I know God's called me to do. And I think you're under that same command. Heavenly Father, we pray for our world situation. We pray, Father, for what's taking place in Israel today. We pray, Father, for the peace of Israel. We, we pray, God, today for those Palestinians that are just caught in a trap. Lord, they're not part of Hamas. They're just living there because they're Palestinian. They were born there or whatever it might be. And Lord, they're just in a bad spot. We pray for them. We pray that you will move in Egypt's heart to open up that gate and let them people in Egypt. But Lord, they'd be able to get away from the horrible war that's about to really take place there. And, and Father, we pray that evil will be defeated. And Lord, we pray that as this is going on, that you will use it, Lord, in where we live, that you'll use it to call people to you. And that, Lord, that many, many, many people will have their hearts and eyes opened to the truth. That, God, you are the God of all. Jesus is above all. He's at your right hand and he's the Messiah, and that people will come to believe in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Ushers, please come forward.